It's my pleasure to have you join us on our continuing special editions of the Clark Howard Show as we talk about the economic impacts of coronavirus and the decisions that each of us have to make to keep our own financial houses in order. And this has been really pounding on us for, in most of America, only for about 12 days that the focus suddenly went from our normal daily routines to coronavirus first, last, and always. And the impacts are coming from so many different directions. And the economy is shutting down quicker in so many phases than I have ever seen in my life. There's no precedent in my lifetime for seeing an economy shut down other than and a snow emergency or, you know, a, some kind of weather emergency. But those are very limited in duration. Right now, we have city after city and state after state basically going into hibernation without any clear plan how long that hibernation lasts and what comes next. So I wanted to talk about that in a more general sense, which I've not done in a week. And I want you to think about this. We cannot have an economy that goes into shutdown in major portions of it for a lengthy period of months without plunging our economy into uh, really extreme economic hardship for so many of our fellow Americans. And so... I want to go back full circle to the health side of this. And I want to tell you a story about Taiwan. Taiwan that got hit much earlier than we have been hit by a steady increase in cases of coronavirus. Taiwan used a system they were taught 10 years ago by our CDC, Centers for Disease Control, based in Atlanta. The CDC taught the Taiwanese equivalent organization how you use constant testing and then quarantining of those who test positive to a virus, and you choke off the growth of the virus while you allow general regular commerce to continue right now what we're missing as part of our protocol is we don't have the testing so you see how economists are projecting into darkness where they're projecting um, armageddon for company after company industry after industry because this is completely open-ended now it's non-functional and so right now what I've noticed with the politicians in Washington is almost none of them have a medical background. They are overwhelmingly like me where their background is in business, finance, uh, law, which I'm not, and they lack the comfort zone and the focus on what we need to do. We've got an if-then going on in America. So I want to give an example from Italy, which you may or may not have heard about 
this particular thing, because all that's being reported heavily about Italy is that the deaths from coronavirus are still rising, and they've now exceeded the total of deaths that occurred in, um, in China. So what has not been widely reported is that in the midst of this, one Italian town was cordoned off for the Taiwanese model. And what they are doing is they're doing thorough testing and retesting of 100% of the citizenry, 100%. And they have been able to cordon off people who have it and the people they live with and they've been in close contact with and everybody else keeps working. They have now at a time that Italy is seeing an escalating number of cases and deaths every day in this town in Italy, which is right in the corridor where Italy is being affected the most, they have crushed the infection rate. The infection rate in 10 days has gone to just a whisker above zero. So it requires, we're not one town in Italy. We're a nation of 330 million people. We live rural. We live urban. We have areas where the outbreaks have been more concentrated and more life-threatening. But we do need to get the key part of the equation that has worked in South Korea, that has worked in Singapore, that worked to some effect in China, and worked very heavily in Taiwan, where we have comprehensive testing available everywhere in America. And we need a major focus from Washington, not on accepting that coronavirus is going to run wild and kill potentially millions of people. No, we need to get a protocol in place where we test people regularly, restrict their movements if they do in fact have it so they don't infect others, and temporarily quarantine those closest to them and allow as much as possible for regular life to continue. Because what we're doing right now is the definition of insanity. Day after day, doing the same nothing of real effect, locking down entire metro areas and entire states like California has done, is like a temporary Band-Aid because it doesn't get to the heart and the core of the matter, which is how do we limit the number of people that are ill? And I think we owe this, most of all, to our brave, incredible medical people, the people on the front lines working double shifts, doctors, nurses, nurses' aides, techs, Everybody working in the medical industry right now who are putting their lives on the line, we're going to have medical professionals who are going to die because they're there saving other people's lives. And we can't do this to them with the bravery they're demonstrating, first responders that are coming out and transporting the sick and responding to their needs, putting their lives at risk. We need to do the most basic things. 
that have been proven to work elsewhere because until we do, the economic side of it doesn't get better. So try to imagine our economy just overnight shrinking by such a large amount of money. And that's why we have to really think through how we start dealing with the health side so that the economy and normal life, normal life, can come back. So I want to talk about normal life for one second. So think of it this way. It's almost like somebody who has a chronic disease is in disease management. Until we, 18 months, two years from now, have a vaccine for coronavirus and we know that it's beyond managed, we're fine. But in the meantime, we're going to have to manage something that we have to build up a natural immunity to and deal with people who are going to need treatment over a period of time that could be a few years. We can't put our economy into timeout for a few years. And besides, those of us who have kids, we'll all go nuts with um, too much family togetherness. So I believe that we will get it together. We have lost valuable time. We will lose lives we didn't need to lose. But we will get it together, and we will also get America back to work. On the issue of Americans not working, you know, there's a lot of disagreement right now in Washington of well-meaning people from both political parties. This crosses normal partisan lines, trying to figure out how to do the most effective things to help our fellow Americans that are facing unemployment and help our economy continue for companies that are going into hibernation to help as many of them as possible survive so that when the dust clears, they can come back to work. Now, there was a lot of talk earlier this week about giving people $1,000 checks, $1,200 checks, doing checks based on income levels, making it taxable for people of higher incomes, making it tax-free for people of lower incomes. And I think we need a different thing to think through. There are a lot of us in the economy whose jobs are okay now and maybe will be very secure for a good while to come because even though certain sectors of the economy are so heavily impacted, others are actually okay. So what I would do is I would have a robust scheme of unemployment insurance that would cover regular workers as they have been covered in the past and independent contractors and gig workers based on what income they reported to the IRS last tax year. I know that's kind of a broad brush, but the money is going to be most needed and most effective to help the economy overall if money flows directly to the people who are unemployed. Those of us who remain gainfully employed have not had hours cut, have not had income decline, don't actually benefit particularly from 
the $1,000 checks. All we do is create a bigger deficit burden for the United States. But getting help directly to people who work in industries that have been flattened, like travel, hospitality, restaurants, among other sectors, that's where the help needs to go directly to serve our fellow Americans in their time of need. And this story is going to continue to unfold, but I want to make something clear to you. It may have been uncomfortable for you when I said this is potentially a multi-year thing where we're going to have to manage a disease. Don't let that scare you. We as humans adjust to new circumstances. And we will learn through science and medicine how better to treat people who do develop coronavirus. And ultimately, yes, we will develop an effective vaccine. But life cannot just cease. Commerce cannot halt. And so we will be going into what will be a continually unfolding new normal where we do bring life back to society in more routinized kind of ways. But it's going to take us a while to get there. Here on the Clark Howard Show, Kim and Joel are asking your questions for you. And if you have a question you want them to pose to me, go to clark.com slash ask and post it. And Kim, what you got? All right. Dale wants to know, he says that he's read that there are a number of politicians and CEOs that are stockpiling their money and getting out of the stock market. Are you still recommending that average folks like us continue to stay in the stock market? So there are a lot of rumors about people in particularly the U.S. Senate trading on inside briefings they were getting, private briefings, and selling stocks before it generally became known to the public how difficult coronavirus was going to be for the economy. And who knows if those reports are true or not. As far as selling what you have, a lot of people who've been selling have been selling because they didn't have sufficient cash on hand. If you have sufficient cash on hand, we don't know how far the market will ultimately decline. We don't know how long a recovery will take. But as I look at individual stocks, there are a lot of stocks now that have been so beaten up that if I was of a mind to buy individual stocks, which is not my thing, I would be really tempted to be buying right now, even though those stocks could continue declining for weeks or months to come. I look at the fundamentals of our economy. If you go back a month ago, Even though our economy was weakening, we were not in recession. We were in maybe a growth recession where things were not growing fast enough to maintain levels of employment. We went from having a pretty strong economy to one that's now in a deep dive. Don't overreact to that and know that the fundamentals will return and the economy will be ultimately thriving again. Joel? Clark Penny's got a question. She says, I'm curious, with California shutting down and the biggest port in the country being Los Angeles, how is this going to affect the supply chain? I've talked to a few drivers that are East Coast, West Coast haulers, and they're not being allowed in right now. 
Yeah, so California went to full lockdown. New York has gone to a modified version of that. And I imagine that the supply chain disruptions will last a very short time. What California will do is they will decide that the operation of the giant port in Los Angeles and Long Beach will be brought back as essential business activity and that the ability to move goods that are being imported from China and elsewhere across the Pacific will start to flow again. But we will have some amount of supply chain disruption, but I don't see it as catastrophic what we're seeing right now. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can make smart decisions with your wallet through the coronavirus crisis. Clark.com is our main website, and ClarkDeals.com are both there to serve you. Clark Deals' special emphasis right now on supplies that you are going to need, particularly if you are stuck at home and you're going to have to buy things to provide for yourself and your household. We've got the latest info on the best deals for you as you stock and restock. And Clark.com, we're getting uh, very good feedback on the content that we're continually updating for you to understand how different phases of things affecting your wallet are working. Some of the things you hear with me on the show, like right now I have an update for you on the mortgage market. There's a lot for you to know that is really key for your wallet. And I told you the other day about payment holidays that were available more or less from about half the nation's mortgage lenders for you to be able to have a payment holiday for up to 60 days, up to each lender, what holiday they would offer. There are guidelines that have been issued by the feds. Now, remember, the mortgage market in the United States behind the curtain is overwhelmingly underwritten by the federal government. This is an outgrowth of the banking scandals of 7, 8, and 9, and it has never really changed that the uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and FHA, there was already a governmental entity, VHA, V, <laughs> well, I've been, Veterans Affairs loans, the uh, VA loans, that these are all indirectly government loans. And they are putting out guidance to lenders and accounts for much of the mortgage market in the United States that you will be allowed, if you can uh, validate hardship, that you can provide documentation of hardship, that you will be allowed to suspend your mortgage payments in most cases for up to 12 months. If your loan is a private loan, it is not in any way underwritten behind the curtain by a federal agency. This is not applying to you. That will be up to your individual lender. But for most people, if you have lost your job, suffered a big reduction in income, you will have the ability for the time needed to petition your lender for that. Now, it's not it's not like it's a gift that you don't owe the money. And typically, 
interest will probably accrue, although that is still not clear and how individual lender programs will work. But you will have the ability, if you are not employed, to petition. You just don't stop paying. You petition your lender. And the latest thing that came out that does not have force of law is that the feds have requested that lenders do not report anyone as delinquent on their mortgage to Equifax, TransUnion, or Experian if they are in an approved suspension program. So that's the word that seems to have emerged over the last 24 hours instead of forbearance is you're asking for a suspension of your mortgage. Now then each lender will have to figure out how they want those payments made up on your loan. Many lenders may say, okay, we'll just add whatever months it is and the accrued interest to the end of your loan. So your loan would lengthen by a certain number of months. This stuff is kind of like a rugby scrum that moves in a general direction. This is not something I can say it will work exactly like step one, you ask for this. Step two, your lender does this. Step three, you'll make up your payments this way. Step four, don't worry about the credit bureaus. This is more kind of like moving um, in that direction overall, but not like, bam, this is automatically how it's going to work. Now, I want to deal with uh, something else with mortgages and then talk about renters for one brief second. So the mortgage market is in tumult right now. You know that mortgage rates just was a week ago or so fell to the lowest rates maybe they've ever been at. And then since then, they have gone on a crazy up and down. And right now, a lot of mortgage rates are quoting a full point higher than they were a week ago. So normally mortgage rates go in tandem almost exactly with a formula based on the 10-year U.S. Treasury. But right now, a lot of people who normally would invest in mortgages are moving money to cash to figure out what's going to happen overall. And so temporarily, it has caused a shortage of funds in the mortgage market. And think about classic supply and demand. When something is in short supply, the price rises, i.e. the price of mortgage rates rises. I think this is a very temporary phenomenon and that the decline in mortgage rates that we've seen over the last six weeks will come back into play. If you're already locked in on a refi, you're good. If you were like, hey, I should do a refi, and I called, where are those cheap rates I've been hearing about? Don't worry. I think with near certainty they'll be back. Uh, Kim, what question do you have for me now? All right. From Daniel, we're starting to see furloughs at work as a result of COVID-19. And just curious, Clark, from the employee side, how does a furlough differ from a layoff? Specifically, if someone is furloughed by a private employer, generally, are they still eligible for benefits like health coverage? So that's up to the employer. And you have to be careful with this because this came up a lot during the banking scandals and the Great Recession that followed, is that if you are put in a position where you're 
you're not truly considered to be laid off, then you may continue to have health coverage, but depending on your state unemployment rules, you may or may not be eligible for unemployment compensation. I don't know if your employer is trying to be uh, more generous to you in a furlough where you're not getting paid, but they're still maintaining your benefits, or if they're doing it as a way under your state laws to protect, to prevent you from filing for unemployment. You're not going to be able to reach somebody with your state unemployment compensation agency. So go to the website. The websites are far, far more, more robust than they used to be. And you should be able to find information that is specific to your situation where you'll be able to see, are you in fact eligible for unemployment compensation, furloughed versus laid off? Joel? Yeah, Clark Stewart wants to know, is now a good time for me to consider refinancing my car? Yes, completely. And at credit unions. And it's funny, I in the midst of everything going on, I haven't even thought about that in two or three weeks. But interest rates that credit unions are charging on car loans generally for people with good credit are phenomenal. And so if you have a vehicle under a loan, 80% of people get their loans at the car dealer, you may save a huge amount of money per month if you refi out of that car dealer issued car loan and go into a new one at your credit union. And a lot of credit unions are writing car loans right now at around 2 to 3%. Kim? Uh, I'm going to follow up with Joel's question. This is from Kelly. She wants to know what happens if she can't pay her car loan? What should she do? And we're going to have a lot of people in that situation, and, and I'm really sorry that you face this triage. And if you've not heard me talk about financial triage, you put food on the table first, and then you set priorities from there. And the vehicle comes after keeping a roof over your head, if you can pay for that. So if you can't pay for your vehicle, contact your lender. The first payment you're going to miss, I'm assuming, will be the beginning of April, uh, unless you have a payment that occurs on an odd day of a month for your vehicle loan. But you contact the lender as soon as you cannot make a payment. And the big thing not to do is hide from this. Because if you just don't tell them anything and you're not making your payments, they just proceed on a regular track of doing a repossession of your vehicle. But if you reach them and stay in touch with them and tell them your financial circumstances, I can tell you the lender does not want your vehicle. Because right now, especially, they repossess from you. They're selling those vehicles at a much larger loss than they would have a month ago. So they have a direct incentive to work with you for a while to see if you can get back on your feet. And that's why you stay in contact. Joel? Clark Adams says, I've got some uh, student loans that we're aggressively trying to pay off. They're currently all federal student loans with an average interest rate at about 5% right now. But as we pay more of that balance off, the average rate is actually going to increase because the larger sums are about 6%. I was looking at Credible.com, found that suggestion from Clark.com, and saw that I could get a rate below 4% on a five-year fixed refi with no prepayment penalty 
the monthly payment's doable for us. But amid this COVID-19 madness, is it a good idea to continue with the refi? I work in healthcare, so I'm not really worried about my job stability, but there is a chance that our office could temporarily close. So what are your thoughts? So I was with you all the way till the last thing you said. So you work in the healthcare field. If your office closes, if that means there are other your demand the demand for workers in healthcare is going to remain strong through this, are your skills transferable to somewhere else? If they are, then I would take advantage of that refi. If you do have doubts about having periods of unemployment, stay with the federal loans, even though the rates would be higher than your refi, because under federal rules, you have the ability to ask for basically a timeout from paying your loans, which you don't have once you convert them to a private lender. If you do a gut check and you feel like income will continue in one form or another, then doing the refi is fine. The other thing about your balance of loans, do your real effort paying on your higher interest rate federal loans. Pay minimum only on your lower rate federal loans. I want to give you an update on something that I addressed just a couple of days ago, and that is we have a tax holiday for income tax if you owe the federal government money, but there's a new development with it today. You now don't even have to file your return till July 15th. In a tortured decision earlier this week that was not going to work, the Fed said, hey, you don't have to pay your tax bill that you owe till July 15th. There will be no interest and no penalties, but you have to file your return by April 15th. Tax preparers were so upset they couldn't stand it. If you know how tax preparation works, they work in very close quarters, and this was creating great health risk to people who do tax work. And for reasons I'm not quite sure about, a lot of tax preparers who are enrolled agents or CPAs who do tax tend to be older workers. And so they are more health vulnerable. And so the feds came to their senses. And now April 15th this year is July 15th, both for owing tax and for submitting your tax return. However, if you are owed a refund, don't wait. If you prepare your own taxes doing tax prep software or whatever, go ahead and file your return. Roughly 70 million people have done so already, and you want to join them and get a refund as quickly as you can. And if you haven't heard me say this, if you haven't prepared your return, you're expecting a refund. About two-thirds of taxpayers qualified, no, maybe it's higher, qualify to use free file at irs.gov. When you look through the tax prep software available on free file, if you live in a state with a state income tax, make sure you find a free file program that covers both preparing and filing your state income tax free and your federal income tax free. And Joel, what you got? 
Or is it Kim? It's actually me. Sorry, Kim. No worries. So this is from Diane. Amazon has announced that they have jobs available now to be filled because there's a significant increase to online orders. How do I find these jobs? When I Google the question, I come back with numerous links, but they're all powered by third parties and they want personal information, including my credit card. I just okay, want to go to scams. Amazon. They're all scams. All those are scams. I cannot thank you enough for asking this question because this is a terrible, terrible spinoff from coronavirus is that it brings out the people among us who are just terrible, terrible human beings trying to rip people off and scam them. So Amazon has a special web address for the jobs. It's Amazon.jobs. Who even knew there was a dot that was jobs? But if you just go Amazon.jobs, you'll see right away where you put in for what kind of job you're looking for. You put in where you live in the United States. And they'll tell you what's available for you. Besides, it's not just Amazon. Supermarkets are hiring like mad for people to do fulfillment. There will be any of a number of businesses that morph into delivery-only businesses in order to adapt and survive. And there will be a lot of fulfillment jobs available across industry. Joel? Clark Catherine says, due to coronavirus, our travel plans to Spain in late March are canceled. The airline is offering a voucher. However, new dates in October are higher than we paid for these flights. Is there a way to merely change the dates for the original flights without having to pay more? All right. Great question. If the airline's not flying, you have a right to ask for a straight refund, if that's what you prefer to do, instead of a credit towards future travel. If if you cho- choose not to fly and the flight's going and they give you an accommodation allowing you to roll the money forward, they can do that. But otherwise, you have the right just to take your money and whatever deal you want to buy, buy it. But know this, once it becomes clear that travel can resume, there will be airfare sales. So if you're allowed to just hold the money for now and book for a future date later, do that when the sales come along instead of right now. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to. And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. One question that I'm getting more and more inquiries about involves unemployment compensation and each state runs the combined federal state unemployment program they each have their own procedures there are similarities from state to state but they vary from state to state so you may have a loved one a relative somewhere else in the country they've never been unemployed before good for them if they've never been unemployed before and in the economy we've had there are a lot of people who have not faced a situation of applying for unemployment benefits. So it particularly has changed significantly in many states since the last big wave of unemployment swept over the U.S. economy from 2007 to 2011. And now, in many places, 
you don't have to go stand in line at one of the unemployment centers. In fact, you don't want to be, if you can avoid it, in person at an unemployment center because you don't want to get ill from somebody else, right? So that's why it's great that so many places now have the ability for you to do your application online and start receiving money relatively quickly in most states. Now, one other thing. Each state sets its criteria for how long unemployment is paid. In one of the emergency bills that Congress will take up at some point will likely be an extension of benefits, regardless of what state someone lives in, for unemployment compensation. So there's a very, very good guide that has been put together by NOLO.com, N-O-L-O.com. And the guide is under their employee rights section, and it's a briefing called Collecting Unemployment Benefits. It explains in short order how it works generically, and then there's a hyperlink for each state. So whatever state you might have a friend or loved one living in, they can click on that link on NOLO. It will take you right to the procedure for the state they live in and walk them through how to apply. Because it's one of those things, there are some people who've experienced having to file for unemployment many, many times. There are others who've never had to do it and don't know where to start. And this no-low guide is a great place to get things moving. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. With unemployment numbers climbing so rapidly and a likely uh, 20 million or more Americans facing sudden unemployment over the next few weeks, a lot of people are going to have trouble making rent and mortgage payments, especially when we hit May Day. Uh, May Day, you know, is the distress call sign. And in people's lives, May Day is going to be that. Because a lot of people still have money coming in that will cover April Fool's Day and paying rent or mortgage. But May, that's the one where we're going to have a crunch time. So I need to tell you how this is playing out for mortgage borrowers and how it's paying out, playing out for renters. So for mortgage borrowers, most loans behind the curtain are with Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. And both of them are expanding what are known as forbearance options. Now, forbearance is not a panacea, but I want to tell you what it does. It allows you to have a two-month payment holiday from your mortgage, but it does not allow you to not pay those two months. So all it means is that you will not be considered to be delinquent if you can't make your May and June mortgage payments. By the way, I should—I forgot to say, if you have an FHA home loan, same thing applies. And the two months may well be expanded. Another two-month thing is that foreclosures are suspended for two months. 
Now, not all loans are with Fannie and Freddie or the FHA, but odds are industry more or less will follow what they do with what are known generically as payment payment pause plans. I can't say that three times. Can't even say it once. Tenants. Very different situation for tenants. Most apartment complexes are owned by a big real estate investment trusts or big investment groups. And so far, there's been no movement, no willingness for apartment managements to offer any assistance or accommodations to people who've been laid off because of coronavirus. Almost certainly, that's going to require action by state legislatures or the U.S. Congress. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.